The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Hey, thanks for joining us today as we just continue to walk through the first chapter of the book of Luke. Luke is doing a great job of explaining all that happened around the birth of Jesus. And I promise you, I promise you, if you're concerned, when are we going to get to the birth of Jesus? Uh, right around Christmas. And so we're just a couple weeks away. I'm excited for that. We're planning the celebrations. And, and I hope whether you join us online or in person on Christmas Eve, Eve, that you bring your friends and family as is safe to do and, and you celebrate the birth of Jesus with us. So we have just a couple more things to highlight uh, about the birth of Jesus and John. And today we have Zachariah, the father of John singing praise to God. He hasn't been able to speak for over a year. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth is praise to God. And then what we call the Benedictus. It's a big Latin word. I'll explain that here in just a minute. But we have those words uh, written down for us by Luke in Luke chapter 1, 67 through 80. We have those words that Zachariah sang to the Lord, that he spoke to the Lord, however they came out, just talking about his boy. And, and I want to be clear here. I am the father of three sons. And so this passage resonates with me. The, the things I felt at the birth of each of them, they were real and they were raw. And the things I said to God were real and raw. And we have them now captured in this narrative, in the verses we will read today. And I'm not saying if you aren't a father or if you haven't had sons, you, you can't be a part of this story. But I've asked you through this entire series thus far to feel it, to smell it, to be a part of this narrative. And I want you to see now that the first words that Zechariah speaks in over a year, we have recorded here because it told us last week in Luke chapter 1, verse 64, that immediately after naming his son John, as the angel told him to do, immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue was set free, and he began to speak. And what he spoke were praises to God. And we have those right here. What a huge moment. As Zechariah, an elderly man, one who had been resigned to the fact that he was never going to have children, is now looking at his son. He has just received his voice back. Even though John is eight days old, it was the eighth day where they took him to the temple to name him, to have him circumcised. We talked about that last week. And he gets his voice back when he affirms, no, his name is John because this child, this child is special. He is going to bring many, 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 many people back to the Lord. And with that joy, with that proudness that comes from being a father, Zechariah speaks and he speaks first about the redemption of Israel and the horn of salvation, and we'll explain all that, that is to be the Messiah, the one that John was born to be the forerunner of, that this is his whole lot in life. He was the one who came to prepare the way. Zechariah knows this. He's excited about it. And as a priest, he knows the Old Testament. So many of his first words are references to the Old Testament. I'll try to draw the lines to them for you. But just know this. We have a priest who knows the Old Testament inside out, 
who shouldn't have been a father, but now is a father. And his elation comes through in this moment. And not to mention just that, the normal elation that would come from being a first-time father, but now he's also filled with the Holy Spirit and he wants to start to talk about his people, the Israelites, and what his son and the subsequent Messiah would mean for his people. So that's where he begins, Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 71. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he began to prophesy, verse 68. Praise be the Lord. God gets all the glory first. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago he would do so. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Now that idea of redemption, you see it there in verse 68. It means to be redeemed or ransomed. That language goes all the way back to the Exodus, meaning when Moses led the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt. For 400 years, God's people had said, hey, we're not supposed to be here. And the Lord heard them and he set them free. And what Zechariah is using is a similar language here. He's saying, my son, that boy right there, he is going to prepare the way for the one who will ransom, who will redeem us out of our current captivity. Now, now, giving you some historical background. The Israelites, God's chosen people, living in and around Jerusalem, they have been subject to Greek rule for centuries, but Roman occupation was much worse. And they've only been under that leadership for about 40 years. It, it hasn't been a long time, but they don't like it. And it reminded them, isn't it funny how hardships oftentimes turn us back to the promises of God? Hardships like being under occupation made them remember, hey, my parents taught me way back that, that God was going to send a redeemer, someone to deliver us from all those who try to oppose us. And these Romans, after four decades, they're making our life really hard. So is there not someone who's supposed to come and fix this? And Zechariah, even though he's filled with the Holy Spirit and has wisdom and understanding beyond what any of us have, I mean, that's just because it comes directly from God, he still feels like this Messiah, this baby Jesus yet to be born, is going to come to do one thing, to liberate the people, to set them free from occupation, to give them back the rule of their own life. And he's elated to know that he gets to be just a small portion of that. If my son can go and call people to repentance and then the Messiah shows up and liberates us and we are once again a nation that rules the world, if, that, if that's possible, then I am elated. And I know, I know that the salvation that my son will talk about, that he will be the forerunner of, I know that that salvation is a horn of salvation. And for us, we're like, a horn, what does that mean? Well, in the ancient Near East, Horned animals were considered to be the strongest. And so all throughout the Old Testament, a horn was a symbol of strength. In the New Testament, this is the 
only time that a horn is mentioned outside of the book of Revelation. Now, in the book of Revelation, it talks about the Messiah. It talks about the altar. It also refers to the beast, Satan, as being strong. But what Zechariah is saying here, the only time outside the book of Revelation that we see this, is that whatever is to come is going to be strong enough to overcome our greatest obstacle. And I'm looking at this baby, and I'm so elated to be a father, but I know that his life has a purpose that's so much more. Our people, the nation of Israel, are going to be blessed upon blessing by what is to come. And I have a child that gets to be just a small piece of that. What's coming is the completion of a promise, a 4,000-year-old promise that goes all the way back to Abraham. And that's what Zechariah talks about next. He says it in Luke chapter 1, verses 72 to 75. He says, To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob became Israel, the nation of Israel. Abraham was the grandfather of that nation. The promise was made to him. It was given to him to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. Right now it would be the Romans. And to enable us to serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Zechariah would have known from the first time he could be taught about this promise made to Abraham, that his descendants, ultimately known as the Israelites, they would always be watched after by God. They would never be captive for long because their God loves them and will take care of them. This goes back to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It says this, The Lord said to Abram, his name before he had a son, Leave your land, your relatives, your fathers, and your home, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. Through you, every family on earth will be blessed. The first messianic promise that through the line of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, will come one through whom everyone is blessed. And Zechariah knows, he knows that his son is going to be the forerunner to a distant relative named Jesus that's coming right after him that is going to be the fulfillment of this blessing, a 4,000-year-old promise, a deliverer coming to set our people free. Now, Zechariah transitions here in the next few verses. And he's no longer a priest talking to the people. He's no longer talking in macro terms about the blessing that will come from this Messiah. He's going to brag on his boy. He's going to talk about that baby and the importance of that child. Luke chapter 1, verses 76 through 79. And you, my child, how often, if you've had the blessing of of having a child, How often in those first few days did you just speak to them, knowing they couldn't understand a word? But you just spoke, knowing that those words had significance. 
And here we have recorded what Zechariah said. You, my child, you will be called a prophet of the Most High, of God. And John was. John was seen as a prophet. If you look at your Old Testament, the last book was the book of Malachi. It was written 400 years roughly before the birth of Christ. It had been 400 years since God had spoken, since God had sent a prophet, and now Zechariah, with the fulfilling or the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit in him, he knew that this was going to change. There was going to be a voice. And he's looking at his eight-day-old son, and he's saying, you, you are going to be a prophet. You're going to be a herald. You're going to be a voice of the Most High God, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. Now, Zechariah is a priest. He knows the Old Testament. He knows what the job description is for the one who comes before the Lord. So he knows this, and he's going to prophesy about it. You are going to be the one that prepares the way for the Lord. Verse 77, to give his people, the people of God, the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. You're going to go baptize. You're going to go baptize for repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And it's going to be amazing. And tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, are going to come to you. And they're going to understand they need to repent and turn back to God. But there's going to be one who comes after you, who baptizes with fire. And that fire is the Holy Spirit. And they no longer are just set free from their sins. They are now able to live a new life. A life ransomed and redeemed by Jesus, this Messiah, who you will prepare the way for. Can you feel the passion that Zechariah would have had starting to put the puzzle pieces together? Oh my goodness, my son that I never should have had because I'm way too old. You, you child are going to do something so great. Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God. Hey, church, God loves you. He's for you. He cares. For 400 years, there were people, maybe some even like Zechariah, who went, God, where are you? What are you doing? He was working. He was fulfilling his promise. And he's faithful. Because he loves you and he cares for you. His tender mercies are for you. By which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness in the shadow of death. Those who are hurting, those who are without hope. He will rise up something, a savior, for you. And Zechariah gets to go, my boy, my boy. He's going to let you know about that Savior. He's going to point you in the right direction. He'll rise up that Savior to shine in the darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Peace is what God offers we think of the good news as being tied to salvation, which salvation is absolutely the good news. 
But there is more that our Savior brings. He brings us peace, peace with God, peace with others. That's what he offers. And Zechariah, looking at his baby boy, goes, you're going to be the one that lets a bunch of my friends know that this peace, this salvation is coming. And to prepare themselves, to make ready for the appearance of the Lord. You're going to get to do that. You're going to be the one that comes up and opens the service. And then one day there's going to be this Savior that appears on the scene and everyone's going to go, wow, you told me. You told me to be ready. And thanks to you, I was. I was ready to go. The Old Testament talks about the one who would come before. Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 says, I'm going to send my messenger and he will clear the way ahead of me. God will send a messenger. John is that messenger. Zechariah knew this. And can you imagine how proud he was as a father? Isaiah 40 verse 3, a voice cries out in the desert. We'll read a passage here in just one second. That John spent his life in isolation in the desert. Why? So that men and women must come to him to hear the good news. They must choose to step out in faith. A voice cries out in the desert, clear a way for the Lord, make a straight highway in the wilderness for our God. And Luke chapter one, verse 80, okay? Luke chapter one, verse 80 covers 30 years. Luke set out to tell the full story of Jesus, but he jumps 30 years in one verse here. Luke chapter one, verse 80. And the child grew, talking about John, he became strong in spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Until he started to say, hey, come out here, I have a message for you. Until it was time to prepare the way for Jesus. It would be about 30 years. Many of us, Zachariah included, we have expectations, even holy expectations when it comes to how we relate to God and how God relates to us. Zachariah is caught up in the moment and he is just pouring out praise to God for this son and what this son will do. His expectations though are a little skewed. He expects that the Messiah, the one his son will be the forerunner of, that Messiah will come and set his people free from the Roman occupation that's made the last three decades of their life terrible. That's what he thinks. But that's not at all what the Messiah truly came to do. He is a redeemer and a deliverer, but he is a redeemer and deliverer from sin and death. Not from physical occupation, not from rulers or authorities. It's a spiritual redeemer. And for those of us sitting 2,000 years on this side of the cross, that makes perfect sense. But I just want you to understand that in the first century, that's what everyone was expecting. And in fact, there are many Jews, practicing Jews to this day, who do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah because he did not set them free. So what do we do? What do we do when our expectations of Jesus, our expectations of God, go unmet? How do we respond? Well, I fear that oftentimes our response is negative. Because our excitement over our view of God and what we think he's going to do in our life doesn't quite fit his desire for our life. Our excitement 
for what we think he's going to do, you're going to come in and make my life blank. And then your life doesn't become blank. It's something else. And you go, God, you failed me. My expectations were unmet. And he goes, no, child, this, this is what you need. Now, I'm not saying we should all be able to navigate those waters because they're very difficult waters to navigate. But we have to ask ourselves, what is God's number one desire for our life? Ask yourself that right now. Just take a big breath. What is God's number one desire for your life? What does he desire more than anything else for you? Think about that for just half a second. Does he desire for you to be stress-free and devoid of hardship? Is that his number one desire for your life? Or... Does he desire for you to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? I can tell you what the Bible says. And it is that God desires your heart and for you to love him. And sometimes, I can speak to this myself, sometimes it's hardship that pushes us towards him. So is God off his rocker? Is God incapable and unpowerful if we experience hardship? Or is he working for our good so that his greatest desire for us might be fulfilled? Something we got to wrestle with. I'm not saying it's easy, but something we got to wrestle with. Something I think Zachariah wrestled with. As we As we think about this Christmas season, the coming of Jesus, the sending of God's one and only Son, the Redeemer, the Savior. Jesus came to save us from our own sinful desires. I think that's one of the main reasons why he came. But oftentimes we want to fulfill those desires and we want God to help us do that. I'll give you some examples. We want security. We want pleasure. We want power. And we want those so that we might feel complete and content. And God says, I'm not going to help you do that because I, I am your security. I am your greatest joy, your pleasure. I have more power than you can ever gain from this world. So would you please, would you please stop seeking those things elsewhere? It makes us believe that God isn't hearing our prayers. It makes us believe that God doesn't care about us. But in reality, God cares about us more than we can ever know because he wants to be those things for us. And when we seek security and pleasure and power in things of this world, they will only fail us. And he knows that. And he wants to spare you that pain. Jesus came to give us a new life, but we want the perfect American life. Give me the stuff. I want to be able to show what God has done for me 
And he says, no, what I've done for you is I've given you peace. Peace in all circumstances. Contentment, whether you have much or little. That is the dream, whether you realize it or not. Jesus came so that we might live with God forever. But how often do we want to live with God right now at arm's distance and then stay out of hell when we die? And that's not what our Savior came to do. Our expectations need to be clear. Zechariah, I think, was a beaming father, thrilled that his son would get to pave the way for the Messiah, for the Lord. But I think his expectations were off. And I wonder if he lived long enough to see Jesus as an adult. I wonder if he understood that what Jesus came to do was better. Whether he did or not, today, church, you have that opportunity to take the expectations that you have about Jesus, to lay them bare before him and to say, hey, I wanted this, I desire this, I think that this was good, but I'm not perfect. So can you just show me what you really, really came to do in my life? And he'll say, I came to love you so that you might love me. To provide for you security, pleasure, joy, power. I came to bring you eternal life and I came to be with you. In this season, you hear the term Emmanuel, God with us. God wants to be with you and he wants you to be with him. So as you look at your life this week, is your expectation of Jesus in line with scripture? And if it's not, that's cool. How do you need to adjust it? How do you need to change that up? Is your worship of Jesus dependent upon your expectations being met or do you worship him simply because he is Lord? What's driving your spiritual response to him? And my prayer today is that it is him. It is that Jesus is more than enough for all of your desires, for all of your expectations, He's more than enough for this season. And what he offers you is what you desire more than anything else in this world. Father, help us to see you for who you are, to not allow our own expectations to cloud our relationship with you, to trust you, to love you, and to surrender our lives to you, for you are good. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.